0: Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the House. Your weekend wake-up tradition.
1: Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this
0: garden grow.
2: Even when it's triple digits outside. Come on around back, Arizona. It is 8 o'clock, third Saturday of the month. We are talking gardening and... Uh, all things landscaping. If you'd like to join the conversation with Jay Harper, it's 188-767-4348. That's 1888 Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, And you can also email info at Rosieonthehouse.com. And you know that's the one nice thing about landscaping and gardening and uh, you know working with your hedges and your trees and watering your garden and vegetable and mowing your lawn. It don't care about what's going on out in the world.
3: <laughs> no, it You can, it You doesn't. can leave it
2: all behind.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, kind of owning a nursery and being a dairy farmer, a lot alike when it comes to that. The, the cows don't care and the plants don't get, it's, it's whatever day it is, it is, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's a good good escape, uh, very good therapy, get out there and. You can always find something to do in the garden. You know, there's always a weed or a or a plant that needs tended to or something that needs done, right? You know, it's never complete.
2: So. The only thing they care about is when it gets over that triple digit, and then they start stressing for a little water.
3: Yeah, Yeah, we're getting to that point here pretty quick where tomato plants are going to start kind of, you know, showing the signs of uh, the heat, especially – knock on wood hopefully it doesn't happen we always we all like the monsoon and there's a lot about the monsoon the plants like but when those nights stay warm the tomato plants don't do so well so you know make sure you're checking your watering systems you know we've we've had some hot spells but man the last few days wow um it's barely hit 100 the other day a couple days ago the mornings are still fantastic and the evenings um So, you want to make sure that irrigation system is functioning properly, putting water where it should be putting it, not squirting it into the street, uh, not completely blocked. And, you know, because we do get that high stress when nighttime temperatures don't cool off anymore, uh, you know, that's when all of a sudden, boom, it doesn't take very many days of that, a couple of days, and like, ooh, what happened? So... Uh, get out there. Uh, sometimes it takes a couple of people to check your irrigation system properly. Somebody running the controller and somebody, uh, you know, observing uh, the the actual ends, the terminal ends, the drippers, the shrub sprays, the lawn sprays, whatever uh, you're watering, make sure they're going in the right direction. And if you've got lawn sprinkler heads that are more than, you know, a few years old, I would encourage you just to just change the nozzles out on them anyway you know they time that they get run over by the lawnmower and hit with the weed eater and you know you have our you know our hard water run through them they probably aren't functioning a hundred percent properly anyway And they've got some really cool now these low volume MP rotator heads that put water on. they look like little fingers you know they kind of rotate. those are a really smart way to go. Um, they don't get affected by wind. Um, you, if your water pressure, as in most houses, has gone down a little bit over the years, they work on much lower water pressure. Pretty smart, smart thing to do. If you're if you're going to change them out anyway, you might want to consider changing to that to that type of a.
2: And I, I don't need to do anything special. It doesn't require any extra plumbing or electrical. No. They they just start.
3: You just need to know the spacing of your heads, you know. So you put the right, the right ones on, so they'll. I'm
2: looking for a 12 foot stream or an 18 foot stream, or, or, right?
3: Whatever you've got. So, yep, that's it.
2: And so, if I'm going to the irrigation uh, supply house, what mm-hmm. am I specifically asking for?
3: Uh, there's probably different brands. MP Rotator is is the one that I'm, you know, when when we were putting them in that I was familiar with. But uh, if you tell them you want a low volume. Sprinkler head, you know, the rotating kind, the ones that look like little fingers. (laughs) They'll figure it out for you and just know what your spacing needs to be. It would help if you knew your water pressure, but most people don't know that.
2: (laughs) And it's not hard to find. You do need a tool for it. You can get it just about any hardware store and you screw it onto your hose bib that enters into the home. Turn it on and it tells you your pressure.
3: Right. Yeah. So, but, you know it's not completely necessary but it's not a bad thing to know uh especially if you're going to if you really want to be scientific about how much water you're putting it on and that sort of thing but i,
2: I got a bit of an every, education every got, drop counts yeah i got a bit of education last summer
0: where i was developing brown spots in my yard and we hadn't changed the irrigation system but over the years my mower had hit a couple heads and i had just pulled the neck up and replaced just the nozzle head at uh-huh. the top, You know. But I didn't know. Uh, I, sh- I should have been bringing the bad one uh, to Ewing with me.
3: Okay. Yeah. Sure.
0: Because now I knew the distance, but there's also a radius arc. Yes. And yes. and I I was buying the wrong ones, and I and when I finally called Think Green Irrigation, I fussed at him. I said, "Your system you put in 20 years ago isn't working." <laughs> And uh, Big John says, well, Rosie, you've been replacing the wrong parts. And yeah, boy, so the
3: throw angle, when it comes out of the head, can be different, too. It can be flatter or a higher trajectory. Or yeah.
0: Just le- I learned that lesson one more time. When you have something broke, take it to the experts, the actual broken part. Don't think you know what it is. That's a great tip. And then I'll tell you, uh, the years we've done the show together, the one of the very best tips I ever got from you, and this was about five or six years ago, in the beginning of the hot season, have that one key indicator plant. Yeah, that show. And I've got one right underneath my Texas ebony, and baby, it's the first one that starts looking bad, and and, and that tells me instantly. Okay, pay attention.
3: You kind of got to find right that there. least common denominator. There's generally one variety of plant in the landscape that's a little more needy. Uh, perhaps the soil it's in is not, you know. Uh, as doesn't hold as much water, whatever it is, but you that's just a, man, you can look at that and go, okay, even though my sprinkler irrigation system is set to run X amount of days apart, especially when it's over 110. Yeah. I tell people when it's over 110, all bets are off on your irrigation schedule.
0: You may you, just have to manual cycle. You, it. <laughs>
3: you've got to look, you got to be out there looking at them then because, and all it takes is a day. You know, if it goes a day too long on some of that stuff, you're going to have damage. Um, so, yeah, when when we get to those extreme temperatures, which, you know, knock them out, maybe this will be one of those summers, right? We might get lucky. But when we have 18, 20 days straight of 110, all, you know, I, all bets are to You got you to gotta look at them. And, and it's always best, I think, to check it in the cool part of the day, too. If you go out there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there there might be a lot of stuff wilting. <laughs> check it that morning. Check it when it's cool, when it's had a chance to recover, and then you'll know. If it's already looking a little wilty now, it's going to be in big trouble at 2 o'clock this afternoon. So check check irrigation systems. Make sure you're watering properly. Get that uh pamphlet or go online to that landscape watering by the numbers uh water use um really has a great way a very simple way of walking you through how to make sure you're watering deeply enough getting the water down where the roots really need it um, how to figure out a schedule based on the time of year based on the kind of plant you have um and, and that'll really, really answer a lot of questions. When we say water deeply, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. You know, if you've got to get water one to three feet deep, depending on what you're watering, how many emitters, at what rate and how long and where they need to be spaced, all spelled out in that little book. It's a handy little, handy little development or a little piece that was developed by uh, an organization that's Kind of managed by all of the cities in uh, Maricopa County, so. where
2: we use a lot of water, and it we all, do the, the design is to uh, water properly so you're not
3: wasting any. And you know, I was uh, at Roosevelt Lake last weekend, and it's it is full, 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 full. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> you know, let's not right. draw it down right. any more than we have to. Right? It'd be nice if it stayed very full for a while
0: i think we're gonna to have to put a sprinkler system draining out of roosevelt lake on the backside of four peaks. put a big
3: put a big uh sprinkler system right up on the top of four peaks and let, let it just spray out oh man oh, yeah man. no kidding no kidding
2: on that watering and you're talking about depth and watering deep um i bought you always said a screwdriver and use that i bought a, a soil probe and I tell you what, that has changed how I've watered everything because it's over three feet long. Okay. And, yeah. You know, you can getting down on your knees with a screwdriver on one or two trees is okay, but when you're trying to do fifty, being able to just stand up and walk around real quick and, and probe it for trees, it you
3: really need a probe too because you need to get the water down three feet deep. Screwdriver more for the lawn. If you, you know, I I would always take one with me. Somebody, I got brown, like you had a brown spot in your lawn. And I am I know I'm watering enough. I'm watering. I'm like, well, let's go see. Go out in the middle of that brown's patch and take that screwdriver, and you'd stick it in and go, ding. <laughs> <laughs> It'd go in about a half, inch, quarter of an inch. You know, I'm like, and you'd lean on it and stand on it, and you could finally I said, like, You're not, you know, this spot, at least, is not getting anywhere near the kind of water you think it is. You know, it ought to be just like butter. You know, push it in three, four inches deep, boom, okay, you're good. So it's it's a it's a good way to check. Yeah, you know, something like that. But even a piece of rebar for your trees that you can stick it in and pull it out and see if there's moist soil, you know, clinging to it as you pull it out. Something like that. But uh, it, it's surprising, isn't it, how long you can water in the water and you think, oh, and then you go down there it's only gone down six inches or eight inches or you know, after a big rain. You go out and dig, thinking of plant a tree or a shrub, and you start digging, and about three or four inches later, you're in dry, hard ground. So,
2: and then a lot of times on those drips, you see just a small spot mm-hmm. that looks wet, and you're like, "Man, this isn't nearly enough." Right. You take that probe, and you you go down three feet, and you're like, "Wow, no, there's a ton of water here." Right.
3: Yeah, because it just leaves the little <laughs> wet spot. That water once it once it penetrates down through the soil it looks like a light bulb so it goes in it's got a little wet spot on top but then as it goes down in the soil profile it spreads out and then it bulbs out down at the bottom so it's if you've got a little wet spot just want to make sure that you've got those little wet spots equally spaced out around the tree so that you know once subsurface they're all connected down there and you've got you've gotten everything good and wet
2: one 767 4348 that's one tripleA8 rosie for you when you hear the auto attendant just hit 1 that'll get you right into the studio And we get back it's Heath first on the line wants to talk about his Chinese elms and pistache trees Heath and Maricopa's first on the line at one 888 That's one rosie for you. When you hear the auto attendant, just hit one to bypass the message and ring right into the studio. And when we take a call, it's a perfect opportunity to get on the line as we open a line. Heath, welcome.
1: Good morning.
2: So I've got some three questions. Front yard, I've got a couple
1: of Chinese pistachios, south-facing, and they really struggled. First year we put them in. And this year, they have a bunch of sprouts, you know, the ground-level branches coming up. And I was really hesitant to do anything because the tree was so unhappy last, last year. I figured I'd just let it do its thing. But at some point, I need to cut those back. I mean, they're great for preventing sunburn, but I don't want a bush. I want a tree. Right. So at what point do I cut those back?
3: I would definitely leave them on there all summer. Um, and, and if... The only problem with them, you know, is if they get so big um, that they're going to be hard to cut off, or they they change the shape of the tree completely. Um, but I would definitely, you know, every leaf that's on a tree is a little food factory, you know, and it's also, as you mentioned, it's shading the trunk as well. So the more foliage that you can leave on a tree, if it, the 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 more it's going to Produce carbohydrates, the more the tree is is apt to grow. Um, so I certainly would leave it alone all this summer, and then maybe next spring you evaluate how well it's doing, and how much those are growing, um, and uh, you know, and then start. You could even selectively eliminate them. Maybe start with the lowest one or the lowest ones, and then kind of start skirting the tree up or lifting the canopy of the tree up in time.
1: Okay, well, I mean, the tree's pretty tall. It's added two or three feet. It's probably eight feet tall now, t- maybe even ten feet tall.
3: So it's growing. It's it's recovered, and it's it's oh, yeah, starting it's to perform. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think I'd just probably leave them on through the summer then, next next winter, take those off.
1: Drops its leaves in the wintertime yep, go and, yep. and throw them up.
3: When it okay. does that, then, then I'd probably take those off.
1: All right. Now, in the backyard, I got ash trees. One of them died. Um, I cut it off, but it's got all the same thing. It's got all these shoots coming up, mm-hmm. but it's got maybe, it's real happy. It's got 20 of them maybe. It, it looks like a bush, but I don't want a bush. I want a tree. So at some point, I got to do something. How long do I let those grow before I start picking them off?
3: Well, do you want a single trunked tree? I would prefer a single. Is there one tree of those? If there's, is there one trunk of, tree? Is there one of those that's straight coming out out of the you know up straight enough?
1: They're they're still pretty short. They're maybe a foot and a half, two feet tall at the most.
3: Because the problem is going to be, you know, if the tree died back and then you cut it back down towards the base or you know ground level, and now you've got you know all of these sprouts coming out of the ground. They're probably not going to be, you know, straight. They're going to be curved as they come out of the ground and start growing then straight up. I kind of like multi-trunk trees. I would have no problem picking, you know, three or four of those limbs as they come out that are pretty well spaced. If you looked, you know, if you stood on a ladder and you looked straight down on top of that, You know, if they were equidistant around, like spokes coming out of the center of a wheel, you know, three or four or five of them, and and then eliminate all the other ones in time. Again, maybe this first summer you let them all come and then pick the ones that that look like they're going to give you the nicest look, shape, and form of a multi trunked tree. Um, That would be what I would do.
2: I've noticed multi-trunk trees can seem to be stronger than single trunk and grow faster and wider. We've got uh, Mm -hmm. two mulberries, one on each side of the lawn. The multi-trunk is only that way because it had been run over, eaten by a goat. Uh, It's died like three times, and it keeps coming back. We call it our Jesus tree. And it was planted at the same time as the other one, and that single trunk one... It's just as tall as that one, with three years behind it because of how many times it had to get killed and start over. And uh, it, it's a much stronger and wider canopy, yeah. which I think is what he's looking for—is that shade.
3: Yep. Yeah. So you know, it, it, if if you don't mind the look of having the multi trunk, um, it's it might end up being a better tree anyway. Yeah.
2: And as they get bigger, something I've done that really helps me is just take a little garden tape, the green. Stuff Mm -hmm. you use to tie up your vines Wrap that around the branches you want to cut off Because it's a lot easier to identify What you want to thin out When it's in full canopy Than when all the leaves are off And you're looking at it you're like Which ones do I need to cut off? (laughs)
3: There you go Perfect
2: Good luck with your trees, Heath Thanks for the call When we get back, it's Pat Another tree question We've got a couple emails that came in last night From uh, Chuck Who wants to talk about uh, hop seed bushes and your call, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Just hit 1 when you hear the auto attendant. In the garden with Jay Harper, we're going to get to Pat. Talk about tree questions here. Welcome, and how may we help you?
1: Good morning, Romy. This is Pat. Uh, you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I've got a a place up in northern Arizona about 6,800 feet and looking at putting a new tree in the front yard, front planter area. Um, I'm just looking for some suggestions, maybe a deciduous tree. I've got lots of pine trees in the area.
3: You're calling a guy that's lived his whole life at 1,100 feet elevation. (laughs) <laughs> About a tree that will grow at sixty nine hundred feet.
1: That's right. That's right. I, I knew I could lean on. I could lean on the best sort. <laughs> so
3: what? What general area of northern Arizona are you in? Uh, uh,
1: uh, west of Flagstaff.
3: West of Flagstaff. So I I would go see the folks at Warners in Flagstaff for okay. for to okay. to verify what I'm going to tell you. But if you want something deciduous, there's a lot of different uh you know maples that turn beautiful colors that you could plant um you know you can obviously plant a clump of aspens
1: um elk like those too much
3: well elk elk are gonna like them all when they're little you're probably probably gonna have to do something when you know to you know with some kind of protection around the any of them when they're young i i would guess but uh there's sure some pretty choices, of, and especially in the different kinds of different maples, red maples, and different ones that. Oh, that's
1: that, that, uh, that sounds like a great idea. What, like a uh, uh, a twenty-four inch box or what?
3: You know, I think most of those trees, uh, you know, they don't grow boxed like we do. They're ball, what we call ball and burlapped. They're so they're a field-grown tree, and then they go in and dig them and put them in a you know, in a in a burlap type sack and tie it up, probably. They may be doing more uh, containerizing of those, but uh, yeah, you'd, you'd probably want to start with something reasonably good size for the elk reason as well as the fact that they're, you know, at 16, at that elevation and in those long winters, you don't get probably the speed of growth that you might be used to with trees down here, um, so you might want to consider that That'd be a good question to ask.
1: I had some fruit trees, but the the late frost always got to them.
3: I think and fruit so, trees at that elevation are going to be pretty pretty sketchy. Yeah, um, you'd certainly have to make sure you pick the right varieties. But once you get up that high, you know it, it's going to be tough to not get nailed by those late frosts.
1: Very good. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Well, good That's luck. So let us let us know what you pick.
2: Yeah, I have to get out of the heat. I'd we'll, to
3: co- we'll come and up and help you. We'll come <laughs> up and watch do. you dig Please the do. hole. <laughs>
2: nah, not bad at supervising here. <laughs> we'll help you with that. And While you're up there, you know you can catch Rosie on the house in Flagstaff on Calf Country. So whether you're home in the mountains or you're home in the desert, you can catch Rosie on the house, yep. no matter where you are in Arizona. We've got Chuck wrote in last night and says, I've got 14 greed hop seed bushes. Forming a hedge. They're about six feet tall, 18 months old. I'm getting a lot of leaves turning yellow and dropping off. They're on a drip system, watering twice a week for 60 minutes each time. Is this the proper amount of water? And should I do more or less? What can I do about the yellowing?
3: Well, one of the things, you know, uh, Rosie talked earlier about knowing the exact nozzle on your lawn sprays. You know, an hour on a dripper, is it a one-gallon-an-hour emitter, a four-gallon-an-hour emitter? You know, what? how much water in an hour is that drip system delivering? That would be one clue to know. I would say in general, that's probably okay a couple of hours a week with a drip system. Number one, make sure they're, again, check them. You know, they, they plug up. They don't operate properly all the time, and they're and I've found they're not very consistent. You get some that, you know, they stream out of there and some that barely drip out of there. So you, need, you may need to do a little checking and regulating. But I'd say in general, you're probably okay on the watering. The yellowing, I would suspect it needs fertilized. I would just suspect that you're getting some nitrogen sloughing where the tree is actually just kind of using up what's what it's saving up inside it, and then it kind of sloughs that, that leaf off, turns yellow, and falls off. So maybe a little slow-release fertilizer, something like, you know, an organic, of course, a farm's choice chicken manure pellet would be wonderful. But uh, also fertilome makes one called Start and Grow. It's a good time release. So either one of those, slow-release, long-lasting fertilizer would be good.
4: I have a question for you, Jay. Yes. Our good friend Emilio from Tucson called last <laughs> week, confused about his orange trees. So there, there are several of them. I think he'd tell me four. And, there's a, and they're about four years old, and they've been giving him great produce. This year there is one that did not even have flowers. What is that about? And he did say, I asked him if he fertilized, if he knew how to do that three times a year, and he said yes.
3: You know, occasionally, and I, I have a, uh, a navel that does this, and it, it produces in alternate years. And so we, you get a, a heavy crop one year, and the next year, virtually nothing. I had one naval orange last year on this tree. It was a monster, <laughs> but <laughs> I and I, I, and I cherished and rose. I cherished it. <laughs> I watched it every day till I finally went out and picked it. Um, and this year, it's got you know right now, it's got hundreds of uh, fruit that's set. <clears throat> There's a lot of theories as to why they do that and how you keep them from doing that. Um. You know, make sure that you're fertilizing regularly, probably using the right amount of fertilizer, the right amount of times a year. Uh, Make make sure that uh, it's getting regular watering. Uh, And then sometimes it's just there's just not much you can do. If they don't bloom at all, there's not much you can do. I mean, blooming and not setting fruit is a different thing than just not even flowering. So make sure you're using a good fruit tree, citrus food, kind of fertilizer, and one that's, you know, really geared for the desert southwest. Um, Sometimes a good indicator is, you know, if it says citrus and avocado (laughs) food, that might be an indication that it's not really developed for Phoenix, Arizona. But that'd be my best guess is, you know, try and equal out the fertilization throughout the year if you can.
4: Great. I know Amelia will appreciate that. Hey, I just wanted to remind everybody when you call in, And you call 888-767-4348. Go ahead and hit that 1 so you can bypass. We've had a couple calls. People didn't press that 1. So you press that 1, you get right to us, and Jay, answer your questions.
2: So new auto-attendant feature we're not happy about, but had to do it. Just hit 1, and you'll bypass the... uh... Disclaimer message and put you right into the studio and we can get you on the air and online with Jay and uh, for Emilio he was if I remember right he's even south of Tucson like San Manuel and you know the, he did not have to worry about frost this year <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, the, you're on a, a cooler climate well, higher might, elevation it, it,
3: yeah it, and it's so late cold could be an issue um, with with citrus perhaps. Um, again, if it's not, if it doesn't even flower, um, then you don't even have a chance, you know, but uh, yeah. So yeah. And, f- and if it frosted or froze, he'd know it. I mean, he'd have some damage on the foliage probably and that sort of thing too. So,
2: But if, if citrus did end as well in Tucson as they did in Phoenix, there would be that many citrus in Tucson.
3: Yeah, it's just just cold enough that there there can be some, depending on where you're at in Tucson. Particularly, it it can be there can be some issues.
2: You can have success, but they're just they don't have them in those massive groves, just because you are just a little bit higher in elevation, right. a little cooler. Um, we were talking you were talking about watering and the drip irrigation on the nozzles for the head. They've got those drip emitters now that will you can adjust them and they'll Correct. go up to ten gallons in, right. an hour. And I haven't talked to many people that like them, but I actually like them um, because, like you said, uh, the the they get corroded, they get mixed up. Those you can like unscrew and screw back and break yeah. up the yep. calcium. And you know, if, if you may have started with a six gallon an hour drip and it may be a four gallon an hour drip now, well if that happens on these adjustable head ones and you're not getting as much out of it, we'll just turn it a little bit. and
3: Exactly. It kind of cleans it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can take the whole thing off and let it, the water, the spray shoot out and then put it back on. And that's what I I do. I kind of like them too, frankly. Um, Especially if you, especially for some of the stuff that needs a little more water, that's not really quote unquote, a desert adapted plant. You know, so I've got a hedge of sour oranges and they, and I've used that kind of a, you know, cause they need to need more water than if it was cassias or, uh, Texas sage or something like that. So for, for those types of plants, I think they're very effective.
2: And for our lawns, if somebody has a summer lawn, uh, make sure we're fertilizing that wood about every six weeks.
3: Yeah, that's about right. About every six weeks, uh, your, your lawn is probably transitioning if it hasn't already. It's in the middle of it. You know, where the, if you planted a winter lawn, it's kind of, you know, that's, that's pooping out and the, the Bermuda grass is trying to come back in. And you want to you instigate that. You want to help that, you know, facilitate that uh, by mowing that ryegrass shorter than it likes. Maybe even take it down, aerate it, dethatch it. Any, any of those kind of uh, techniques that you can use to get rid of that ryegrass at this point if you haven't already, is, is a smart thing to do. Uh, fertilizing it, watering it adequately. Again, making sure your irrigation or your uh, sprinkler heads, your delivery devices, are putting water efficiently and where they need to be putting it. Uh, water early in the morning, you know, three, four, five o'clock in the morning is best before the, the wind kicks up, before the, the heat gets on it and the sun gets on it is always best. Yeah, and before you, the family starts getting up and showering and using water pressure and that sort of thing as well.
2: Got a text question back to citrus. Uh, this individual has good drainage on the citrus. Are five years old and they've hardly grown, but they're green. Hmm. My first thought was, did you buy dwarf citrus? Well. <laughs>
3: They'd still grow, though. I mean, even if they bought—you ought to see new growth coming out on them. Um, you know, I, they're green, so they're probably watering enough. You're not getting brown, burnt leaves from lack of water. Um, I would I would probably suggest more frequent, lighter fertilizations. Um, you know, getting something— uh, that's fairly mild again, like an organic type fertilizer and maybe doing it every couple of weeks, just a little bit and, and seeing if that use some gypsum or some soil sulfur on it as well. And maybe even put a layer of shredded bark or mulch around it so that it does hold some moisture uh, more consistently around the base of the tree. Don't get it up on the trunk, but you know, put it out around where the roots would be cool those roots down get that moisture to stay longer and more consistently. Maybe just give it a little bit more uh, lighter fertilization so there's always kind of some fertilizer present for that that tree to be absorbing.
2: pulled this ad out of Wall Street Journal yesterday as a reminder to talk about it. It's for steel battery-operated uh, garden tools. This one in particular is a weed eater. Uh-huh. You ever, have you had?
3: Have tried? one. You do? Yep. Have that up, and That in the blower. I like it. I, I like it. Now, I don't have a very, you don't know, have a huge lawn, and they make different um, different levels. So there's a very small one. And then there's a medium one, and then there's the commercial. You know, if you're a commercial user, um, so basically the size of the tool and the size of the battery, of course, the capacity of the battery varies depending on them. I have the middle of the road one, and I and I love it. I've, I've I'm I'm going to keep adding. I'm going to get a some type of hedge trimmer, and and they say the chainsaw. I don't use a chainsaw very much. I'm not cutting all my. I don't heat my house with firewood. I'm not out there. <laughs> Cutting three cords of wood every year, but it would be nice to have a, you know, for for something just a little heavier around, you need to, you know, cut something up real quick for around the house, and it's, boy, you just zip and plug it in and, or uh, make sure your batteries are charged. I've got extra batteries. i got a couple extra batteries, so I've always got one that's fully charged.
2: How long do they last? I'm sure each one uses a different amount of power. What you you're know, cutting the, and-
3: the the string trimmer, the weed eater, I know, it'll go many 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 uh cuttings without having to be returned because you don't run it very long the blower uh is a little bit less because you're you know it's more of a constant you're you're and you know, i've got a lot of stuff to to blow uh, around my house so um it but i you know it they charge up pretty fast and they and they they work good i'm very happy with it
2: okay i've been looking at it and thinking i was going to go that route one of the things that- that's most attractive about it to me is the nearest gas station to our house. It's a 35-minute round trip. And, of course, when you go to use your weed eater, you it's don't empty. have you're all <laughs> You're always out of gas. And you yeah. don't have the two-stroke oil. <laughs> it's yeah. empty. Or, or what's been sitting in there so long, by the time you get it started, well, it, I will. It, it, it smokes so bad, you're worried that they're going to call the fire department.
3: <laughs> I will say, and I've heard you guys talk about this, if you've got two-stroke garden equipment, buy that canned premix gas amen that's the stuff to have man i tell you what it doesn't go bad and uh and that way you can have into stores so nicely yep you don't have a stinky leaky gas can that you wonder is that too did i mix is that pre what <laughs> and they don't sell that at the
2: shell station out on grand where do you get that scotty's yeah and i have to go all the way to scottsdale for
0: that yeah well you're there for the office anyway i'll <laughs> yeah. bring i'll bring you two gallons okay <laughs> hey right. it's the only way to go and right. he
3: has the steel uh, electric stuff too so, okay um and yeah, talk talk to tim over there about it It it's i i think you'd like it
2: it's a hard place to find and not one on a location you expect scotty's yeah yeah it's in a strip mall down at the end, and I mean, you behind Costco. you, you yeah, got to look for yeah. it, but yeah. it's it's worth it when you find it. Let's get to Gail to talk about her trees down in Tubac. Welcome to the program.
4: Hi, I've got a problem here. Uh, when I moved to uh, the house down here about uh, six years ago, I noticed on the Southern Live Oak, there were a couple of branches that, just don't, weren't having any leaves at all, and it continued year after year. I thought maybe those were injured. And then a few more branches started, but this year it looked a little bit better. But meanwhile, I'd had a large um, Bonita ash planted, not too far away from it. doesn't touch, but it's close enough that a bird could carry something from the um, uh, oak to the ash. And this year I thought, well, I'm not watering enough. The beautiful leaves aren't coming out. It's been a perfect tree, just gorgeous. And this year, I went over there yesterday, and um, the branches, instead of the leaves coming out, Now the water didn't help. The the landscape guys would give it more uh, fertilizer and water. That didn't help at all. Now it's got these, at the nodules, it's got like little miniature long leaf things. And I looked on the Internet, and in fact, it did look like a, a hairy gall kind of thing. And I don't know if I have to have that tree removed, if I can have it sprayed, should I have all of these giant live oak sprayed what the heck is going on
3: wow uh you know if you've got gall that about the only thing you can do is trim it out um i i think that would sure be a case if you've got big mature trees and now it's affecting another tree that you've just planted to where i would have an arborist come out and take a look have you had anybody out or had it diagnosed? down here
4: it's hard to get anybody to even respond
2: and two
3: back.
4: Let's see. Oh, I'm down in two back. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, I, hmm. maybe well, you know somebody. I I don't in Tucson off the top of my head. We'll get on uh,
2: the ISA website and see who we can get down down south. There's gotta of be. Green there's Valley. got.
3: Yeah. There's enough. People down. I, I gotta got the believe there's some biggest
2: pecan there. orchard a few miles away. Somebody <laughs> well, nearby do, knows how to do I do know trees. some people at <laughs> at,
3: at uh, Fico at Green Valley Pecans, but I don't know that they'd want to come diagnose your oak trees. But I, you know, I have you tried calling one of like Harlow's or Rito Nursery and see if they have somebody they can recommend.
4: No, I I didn't know who to, to call up there. Usually they don't. You know, well, uh, they,
3: they might have somebody that they at least okay. would know to recommend. That, that
4: okay? Who were those nurseries again?
3: Well, Harlow's is kind of in the heart of Tucson, and they've been there since the '40s, so they probably have some connections. Uh, you know, that's probably where I would start, and just uh, just call and ask, see if they have an arborist that they can refer. Tell them where you're at, and uh, I, I got to believe there's there's somebody in there. In their old Rolodex file somewhere where they can refer you. And hang
2: tight when we go to the Top of the News. We'll look up the ISA website as well and see if we can get an ar- a couple other certified arborists for if you. If not, maybe you could area. call John and see, see if he you knows somebody. It is funny uh, the frame of reference people have when traveling. You know, you yeah. some people get it in their mind like, oh, my gosh, that's the other side of town. I'm like... You drive to Maricopa; it's the same distance from Chandler to Surprise, but they've got this mental block yep. in their mind that it's yep. so much further. The paradigm of I which can't way go they're over going, there, right? right. <laughs> so we'll see if somebody's got a travel hey, radius. And happy first day of summer, by the way. That's right, two forty-three today, go. the longest day.
3: They get shorter from here, so it's getting cooler. All uphill. <laughs> <laughs>